Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Tuesday, February 18th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. More than 2,000 former federal prosecutors now calling on the attorney general to resign as criticism mounts over the sentencing of President Trump's associate, Roger Stone. The Democratic candidates for president now looking west to Nevada as a new Univision poll reveals Bernie Sanders in the lead in that battleground state. And more than 300 Americans landed in California and Texas after being evacuated from a cruise ship in Japan. Now 14 have tested positive for coronavirus and remain in isolation. This and much more today on You News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin today with growing outrage over the perceived politicization of the Justice Department. A group of federal judges is holding an emergency meeting today over concerns about the DOJ's intervention in politically sensitive cases. This, as more than 2,000 former prosecutors and DOJ officials call on William Barr to resign as attorney general. A credibility crisis rocking the Justice Department amid rising calls for Attorney General Bill Barr to quit over claims he has politicized highly sensitive cases. So far, more than 2,000 former Justice Department officials penning an open letter calling for his resignation. That letter, part of the growing backlash against Barr for intervening to lower the sentencing recommendation for President Trump's longtime confidant, Roger Stone, after Trump tweeted the initial recommendation of seven to nine years in prison was unfair and a disgrace. But Barr denies ever coordinating with the White House in the Stone case. The recommendations on this case? Never. White House senior counselor Kellyanne Conway telling Fox News on Sunday that the president was venting to the world, not interfering in a criminal case. He didn't have a conversation with Bill Barr about the Roger Stone case. He had a conversation with the whole world. The signatures of the former employees who served under Democratic and Republican presidencies were gathered by Protect Democracy, a bipartisan group that has been critical of the Trump administration. These former DOJ officials say the president's public comments on DOJ matters have gravely damaged the department's credibility. In their letter to Barr, they called on others to uphold their oath of office if they face political interference at the Justice Department. And now, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer is calling for the Inspector General to launch an investigation into the matter. The defense team in Roger Stone's case asked for a delay in sentencing while motion for a new trial is considered, but the judge said no, sentencing will go forward on Thursday. However, the judge said there will be a delay in execution of sentence. In other words, when Stone is sentenced, he won't go directly to jail until the new motion and the new trial motion is actually decided. And a new message from former National Security Advisor John Bolton publicly questioning the Trump administration for holding up the publication of his book about his time in the White House and teasing what's inside. Rafael Rodriguez has much more. Speaking publicly for the first time since the impeachment trial, overnight President Trump's former National Security Advisor bashed his old boss, accusing the White House of censoring his upcoming book. Uh, I say things in the manuscript about what he said today. Uh, I hope they become public someday. He tweets, but I can't talk about it. How fair is that? Bolton appearing on stage at Duke University. 
journalists only permitted to record the start of the event, but ABC News obtaining audio of his full remarks. Bolton repeatedly teasing his book, in which he reportedly alleges President Trump was directly tied to the pressure campaign on Ukraine. The book now undergoing a security review after the administration claimed it contains classified information. There are portions of the manuscript that deal with Ukraine. I view that like the sprinkles on the, on the ice cream sundae. Meaning, in terms of what's in the book, this is this is an effort to write history, and uh, and, and uh, I did it, you know, the best I can. We'll have to see what comes out of the censorship. Bolton refused to testify before Congress, and at the event, he dodged Ukraine-related questions, instead teasing his book. Do you agree with the president that the Zelensky call was perfect? What's that? Do you agree with the president? Bolton did lash out on a long list of other issues, criticizing the president's handling of foreign adversaries like North Korea. I think it's also been a failure. I think the, the pursuit of Kim Jong-un and the meetings with him and the efforts to get a deal with North Korea uh, are doomed failure. So I think this has been a wasted two years. Rafael Rodriguez, U News. Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden hopes Saturday's Nevada caucuses will revive his campaign. Biden supporters believe the former vice president's message will resonate with the state's more diverse population. Maite Interiano explains. No matter what happened in Iowa or New Hampshire, I will remain confident in this. I will... In Nevada, hope for a revival for Joe Biden's campaign. A turnaround is coming. Nevada marks the first test of Biden's theory he'll perform better in states with more diverse demographics. Minority voters made up more than a third of Democrats' caucus here in 2016. As early voting kicked off this weekend, Biden targeted Latino and African-American voters, saying it's time their voices are heard. The reason why we are here is because, you know, 99% of the African-American vote hasn't spoken yet, and 99% of the Latino vote hasn't spoken yet. But Biden faces stiff competition for the Latino vote from Bernie Sanders, who won the majority of demographic Latino caucus goers here in 2016. Ivana Cancela is a 33-year-old state senator backing the former vice president and thinks his experience will resonate with Latinos here. It's really important to voters that they see in a leader experience in making sure that they can deliver on the campaign promises that they're making. Biden has that, and I think that's going to be a differentiating point that will win over a number of voters, Latino and otherwise. Biden is also making a hard push for union support. I know, in their hearts, the culinary workers are there. We're not going to tell all of you who've broken your neck and given up wages and given up salaries in order to be able to have health care through your employer and you've worked like the devil for it. You're not going to be required to give it up. Are you planning on prophecy for uh, or voting for Biden? Biden has expressed confidence he'll place in the top two in Nevada. How well do you need to do here in Nevada? I just have to do well. Do you think you need to win? You need to come in first place? No, I don't think I have to, but I think we have a shot at doing that. As his campaign hopes, the state will be a launching pad in his path to the nomination. 
He's in Nevada now, and it's going to be a different story. And I believe moving forward, you know, the country will understand the momentum that he will pick up. Joe's our boy. Mike Tinteriano for U News. President Trump opens a three-day four-state swing today in California. He'll attend a series of fundraisers for his re-election campaign before meeting with the L.A. 2028 Olympic Organizing Committee. The White House says members will update President Trump on preparations for the 2028 Summer Olympic Games. Now to the latest on the coronavirus emergency. The quarantine on the Diamond Princess cruise ship off the coast of Japan is set to end tomorrow. But just this morning, at least 88 more cases were confirmed on board. This as those 14 Americans who tested positive for the virus and were evacuated back to the U.S. now remain in isolation. Carolina Sarasa has more. 14 American cruise ship passengers who tested positive for novel coronavirus or COVID-19 are being closely watched in California and at this quarantine unit in Omaha, Nebraska. One patient was transported to the hospital to the biocontainment unit because of a chronic condition. 338 Americans were evacuated from the Diamond Princess cruise ship in Japan on two flights, landing Monday at military bases in California and Texas to begin a 14-day quarantine. But just as the evacuation began, a complication. New test results showed those 14 were indeed infected, potentially exposing hundreds of others. U.S. authorities decided to evacuate them anyway, first on a 40-minute bus ride to the airport, then isolating them in special chambers at the back of the planes. Ten infected passengers who arrived in Omaha escorted by medical teams in protective gear, driven by a motorcade to a special infectious disease facility that once treated patients. We're isolating them until we know the testing results. The evacuation is splitting couples apart. They took temperatures and if you had a high temperature you went into that isolation booth. Mark Jorgensen evacuated but his wife Jerry is still in a Japanese hospital. The last night on the ship I had a slight temperature but it was gone the next morning. I haven't had a temperature since, but I am stuck here for 14 days. John is in a hospital fighting the virus and has pneumonia. His wife, Melanie, facing the impossible decision to stay or leave him behind to take the only evacuation flight out. They both decided she should go. If I would have stayed, uh, it was put to me that they didn't know when I could return to the United States. Carolina Sarasa, U News. The Trump administration said Tuesday that it will waive federal contracting laws to speed construction of a wall at the U.S.-Mexico border. The Department of Homeland Security said waiving procurement regulations will allow 177 miles of wall to be built more quickly in California, Arizona, New Mexico, and also Texas. The 10 waived laws include requirements for having open competition, justifying selections, and receiving all bonding from a contractor before any work can actually begin. And much of the focus at the U.S. southern border has been on Central American migrants trying to apply for asylum, but they aren't the only ones attempting to escape persecution in their home countries. As Media Cavazos explains, one shelter has been opening its doors to more and more Russians, many of whom have the same hopes of a better future. Russian citizens are arriving at the Mexicali-Calexico border 
hoping to get humanitarian asylum in the United States. The first ones came at the end of December and gradually have been arriving at this shelter to wait for the opportunity to be interviewed by U.S. authorities. They arrive one by one as if they're communicating with each other that they're fine here. But it's the only shelter where there are Russians. Vladimir Kuznetsov is one of them. He says that he and his companions fled Russia because of the persecution they were facing, the lack of freedom, and they cannot even talk about their chosen religion. In Russia, there are very good people, but they are repressed if they have different opinions than the government. They are considered traitors. At this moment, 10 Russians are receiving support at this shelter, but more are on their way to the border. They say that at least two of them have already been accepted in the United States. There are some who are renting hotel rooms, but are coming here soon. They are arriving from Russia to Cancun, and from Cancun they come to Mexicali. The majority of those receiving assistance here are Mexican and Central American. Although at this time, in addition to Russians, people from Ukraine can also be seen walking through the corridors. They have become very well acquainted with the entire population because they are young, they are friendly, they are educated, and until now, we have not had any mishaps. They are novelty, as you can see in the shelter. We are all now downloading a Russian-Spanish translator, as we are getting to know a little bit more about who they are, and they are learning about who we are. In Mexicali, Mexico, Reported by Jorge Fregoso, this is Nidia Cavazos, U News. The so-called public charge rule is scheduled to take effect in one week. It would deny permanent residency and other benefits to immigrants who have received federal welfare. The measure will not affect U.S. citizens or those who have already have permanent residency. Instead, as Juan Carlos Gonzalez explains, it's aimed at people with very little resources. The Trump administration's public charge rule is ready to take effect in most of the United States and could affect people applying for permanent residence who receive or could be deemed likely to need public assistance from the government. Starting February 24th, the public charge is going to be in effect. In other words, if you're undocumented applying for the lawful permanent residency, the public charge will affect you after February 24th. In other words, any benefit that you see from the federal government, from the state or local government, prior to February 24th, you do not have to declare it. However, any aid after February 24th might have to be declared if you're going to apply for the green card or for a visa. Social benefits like Section 8, House Assistant, Food Stamps, and Medicaid, among others. The U.S. Supreme Court ruled back in January that the public charge rule can be put into effect while its merits are still being challenged in the lower federal courts. The American Medical Association opposes the measure and considers it dangerous. According to Dr. Daniel Linares, people wanting to avoid being labeled as public charge could be at risk by taking precautions such as refusing to seek medical treatment on time. Let's say somebody has chest pain, right? And they need to go to the emergency room, but they're scared. I mean, this is so serious, it could cost them their life. And we're just gonna ignore that as doctors? The other danger, he says, is if a person has a contagious disease. Think of somebody who has a cough, maybe coughing up blood, and it could be something serious like tuberculosis. They are scared to see the doctor. They continue to do their daily activities. They go to church. They hug their brothers and sisters. And 
they could spread that disease everywhere because they're scared to get treatment or they don't have the money. Attorney Alex Galvez explains that there are some exemptions. Those are people who are applying for the green card under Visa U as an asylee, as a SIGIS, in other words, an, a child that was unaccompanied, uh, Visa T, NACARA, VAWA, and under Cuban refugee status. Those individuals, no matter what kind of aid you received, will not be susceptible to the public charge. Also, people under 21 years of age and pregnant women are exempt. If you're a pregnant woman, even though you're undocumented, any assistance from Medicaid that you receive for your pregnancy and 60 days thereafter your pregnancy, that aid will not count towards the public charge. You don't have to fear. The state of Illinois is exempted as well. So definitely there's so many questions about public charge and every case is different. So before taking any action, the main recommendation is consult an immigration attorney. In Los Angeles, Juan Carlos Gonzalez, U News. More of U News after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. U News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. U News on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. Growing anger in Mexico City following the discovery of a seven-year-old girl's body in a plastic bag. Fatima, as she has been identified, was found over the weekend. Authorities have confirmed that the body belongs to a girl who was reported missing by her family on February 11th. Several social groups organized a peaceful protest Monday to express their anger at this crime. Fatima's body was found days after the murder of 25-year-old Ingrid Escamilla, which prompted protests by various groups across the city. According to authorities, 10 women are murdered in Mexico every single day. And Mexico is also running low on life-saving cancer medications. It's the unintended consequence of efforts by AMLO's government to revamp the country's public health system and challenge entrenched monopolies in the domestic pharmaceutical industry. In recent weeks, families of patients enduring shortages of medicines have protested in front of public hospitals and the health ministry. The shortages are mostly affecting the country's public health system, which is one of the world's largest. And for Central American migrants traveling through Mexico, the prospect of being sent back to their home country can be complicated and dangerous. Gianni Aponte has a story of 200 migrants who say their route back home ended up with them as the victims of a kidnapping. Dennis Flores and Victor Alvarado were repatriated to Honduras two weeks ago. Both want to tell their stories because although today they can walk peacefully through their village, a few weeks ago they were in the hands of kidnappers in Celaya, Mexico. He said that he was a coyote trafficking people from here to there. He tells us to deposit some money and that he will help us cross over to the other side. But the man who approached them to offer help while they were in a home housing migrants in Apisaco, Tlaxcala, was part of a gang of kidnappers. I didn't want to think, really, when they tell me they've been kidnapped, I was running back and forth. 
In Honduras, Justa was anxious for days. She asked a relative in the United States for help and sold her house for only $500 to come up with the $3,000 that the kidnapper asked for. Victor sold land he'd inherited from his father, but the kidnapper wanted more money. For us, it was difficult. We were thinking about how to escape. The men say that they escaped while their captors weren't paying attention and ran for hours until they found help and then surrendered to immigration authorities. But today, they say they are returning to their country with nothing. I feel worse because I can't find a job and I don't have my house. The Quince de Septiembre Foundation, based in southern Miami, met and supported the families of these young men. They have organized forums to assess the repatriation issue and are asking for changes in the way the problem is addressed, even reaching out to the president of Honduras. We have the problem of the Hondurans who are in Mexico. We have the problem of the thousands of Hondurans who are being returned and are not getting assistance from the authorities. According to official figures, some 110,000 Hondurans were deported from Mexico and the United States in 2019. Reported by Claudia Mendoza, this is Gianni Aponte for U News. In El Salvador, hundreds of supporters of President Nayib Bukele gathered on Sunday in front of the National Assembly to demand that the lawmakers approve $109 million for security, a loan that is a source of tension between the government and the lawmakers. A week ago, Bukele's use of armed soldiers in the parliament alarmed political foes and rights groups with growing fears about democratic backsliding in the crime-ravaged Central American nation. And in the Dominican Republic, nationwide municipal elections were suspended only four hours after voting began on Sunday due to a glitch in the electronic voting system. More than 7.4 million voters were due to vote to elect almost 4,000 positions in 158 municipalities across the Caribbean nation. The failure of the system is likely to raise concerns ahead of the May 17th presidential elections. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.